Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When God gives a promise, it's something we've got to hang on to. Because if God gives you a promise, this is what you can absolutely bet on. You can stake your life on it. If God gives you a promise, he is going to fulfill it. You might say, well, he hasn't fulfilled it yet. Well, evidently, the time for fulfillment hasn't come yet. Oh, but to you, it seems like it should have come a long time ago. You see, this is the dilemma that we find ourselves in. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 50 in a message titled, The End of the Beginning. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Verse 29, chapter 49. We left off with Jacob having gathered his sons to himself there around his bed. And you remember, he prophesied over each of them and and pronounced blessings upon them. And then we read, then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. So here's Jacob. He's been in Egypt now for some 17 years. And now he's dying. But he doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wants to be buried in the promised land with Abraham and with Isaac. And as we're going to see, even as we go on and see the final words of Joseph, that Joseph had that same uh, desire to be back in the land. Now, One of the things that we didn't go into a whole lot of detail on as we've been studying through Genesis was the the Abrahamic covenant in the sense that it relates to the possession of the land. And so here with Jacob, we see this, this deep conviction that he is to be buried in this land. Now, Remember, this is the land that God had promised to Abraham and to his seed. But at the present time, they only own this small little portion that Abraham and evidently Isaac and Jacob as well, uh, all of them had purchased it from uh, Ephron the Hittite. So this, this, just this little field is all that they possess, but they have the promise of possession of the entire land. 
Now, of course, as we follow the history of Israel under Moses and then under Joshua when they enter into the land, they will ultimately, to a large degree, they will inherit what God promised to them. But, you know, in actuality, they never did inherit all of it. And the full inheritance of the land is something that is actually yet in the future. You know, this is the thing to me that it's pretty astounding. And, you know, we talk about Israel a lot. And, and yet sometimes I wonder, you know, if we realize how, how Israel itself is such, um, such a great apologetic for the truth of the scriptures. You know, here we are today, some 6,000 years later, or 4,000 years later, from the time of Abraham anyway, And we see his descendants in the land that God promised to them, but still unable to fully possess it. We see all of the ongoing opposition to their possession of the land. And things will actually continue that way until the Lord gives them the land when he returns. But, but we'll look at that in some detail. But it, it is an interesting thing that, that here we see with Jacob, don't bury me in Egypt. I need to be in the promised land. Another thing that I find interesting here is he says, it's there that I buried Leah. Now remember the story, Jacob, of course, fell in love with Rachel, and he served Laban for Rachel. And then you remember Laban pulled the trick on him and slipped in Leah. So Jacob ended up first marrying Leah and then later being able to marry Rachel. But Rachel was, you know, in, in one sense, you know, she really was the love of his life. Joseph and Benjamin were her sons. They were his, his favored children. But it is interesting that when it comes to being buried, he doesn't say, bury me in Bethlehem with Rachel. He says, bury me in Machpelah with Leah. And I think the reason for that is that as much as he loved Rachel and as much as he loved Joseph and Benjamin, the covenant was really through Leah because she was the mother of Judah. And as we saw, the promise, this messianic promise has passed from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now it's passed on to Judah. And so Leah, the one who never really was loved or, or felt that love in the end, she sort of wins. And Jacob is to be buried with her. And so when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now, of course, embalming was a practice that was made famous among the Egyptians and the embalming and the mummifying 
of their royalty. And, you know, you can go into many of the museums around the world today and you can see these, these mummified kings and pharaohs. And it's amazing that, you know, 4,000 years later, they're still, they're still fairly intact. So the Egyptians developed quite a process there. So 40 days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. Now, if a pharaoh died, there was a 72-day mourning for the pharaoh among the people. Jacob is mourned for 70 days among the Egyptians. So that'll give you some kind of an idea of the esteem in which Jacob was held among the Egyptians. So, you know, we don't really have any information about uh, Jacob's activity in Egypt, but he was there for 17 years. He was the father of Joseph, and, and of course, Joseph was greatly loved by the Egyptian people. But by this 70-day mourning, that seems to indicate that, that Jacob was held in, in very high esteem among the Egyptians. Now, when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, my father made me swear, saying, behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad. So Atad is evidently a man that was known at that time. We don't know anything about him, but that's where they came to, which is beyond the Jordan. And they mourned there with great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep Mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So Abel Mizraim means, um, means either the mourning of the Egyptians or possibly the meadow of the Egyptians. But it's interesting, the Canaanites, their assumption was this was just you know, strictly an Egyptian affair when in actuality, it was the burial of Jacob. But this, this massive gathering uh, from Egypt that came into the land. And so his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps 
Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So these guys, now remember, 17 years have passed since they were reunited with Joseph, reconciled to him, but they're still a bit fearful that retribution could fall. And I don't think that Joseph ever would have given them any reason to feel that way. I think it was just their own consciences. They just knew that what they had done to Joseph was so dastardly. They just almost, you know, expected something's got to happen. We've got to have some judgment fall on us. And so maybe now, maybe now that our father has passed away, maybe Joseph was just, you know, for the sake of our father, maybe he was being gracious to us. But perhaps now that that our father has passed away, Joseph is going to repay us and notice for all the evil which we did to him. They're acknowledging their evil. And so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, some commentators feel that Jacob didn't necessarily tell them to do this. This was their own way of trying to sort of soften things, you know, course, Joseph had such a tender heart for his dad. So, you know, let's tell him that this is what our father told us to say. Now, that's speculation on the part of, like I said, some commentators. I don't know that we need to go that far with the speculation. Jacob very well might have said that. Actually, I could see Jacob saying that. Quite often, he probably looked at them and thought, oh, you guys deserve to be punished for what you did. You better go to Joseph. You better really repent. You better really tell him how sorry you are. I I could see Jacob perhaps doing that. So that's what they said. This is what our father said. So now please forgive the trespass of your servants or of the servants of the God of your father, And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. You know, as we pointed out before, Joseph was just a prince among men, you know? And he's weeping, I think, really, probably because he just can't believe that these guys think that he would actually pay them back at this point. Not not that he's weeping like, you know, his feelings are hurt or anything, but I think he's just, almost it seems that there's just compassion for them, oh, you poor guys, you know, that's not, even, that's not even in my heart to do anything like that. And so Joseph wept when he spoke to them. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save 
many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, it's interesting. Each sentence in Joseph's reply really shows the kind of faith that he had. Joseph had the kind of faith where he was content to leave all writing of wrongs to God. And that's, that's what he's implying when he says to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? It's not, in other words, he's saying it's not my place to take vengeance upon you. That, that's not my place. And in that, we see a man who was content to just leave it in God's hands. And remember, as we looked at the prophecies and the blessings that Jacob pronounced on his sons in the previous chapter, you remember what he said about Joseph, how he talked about he had been hated and the archers had shot at him and they had bitterly grieved him. But remember what he said, but his bow remained in strength. And we saw that that's really a reference to the fact that Joseph didn't retaliate. He didn't take vengeance upon them. You know, it takes real trust in God when somebody has wronged us to let it go and to just leave it in God's hands. And there might even come occasions like Joseph was faced with here where there was an opportunity for vengeance. And, you know, just from the mere human standpoint, there was complete justification. If Joseph would have at this point brought down some kind of a judgment upon his brothers, who could blame him? They, they themselves couldn't even blame him. So here the, the opportunity for vengeance has presented itself, but Joseph is a man who has such confidence in the Lord that he's just, he's content to leave it with God. Who, who am I? Am I in the place of God? If God hasn't brought a judgment on you, then how would it be that, that I could think that I could do such a thing? And so we see the great faith of Joseph there in that he was willing to leave that all in God's hands. We see also, secondly, that Joseph is able to see through the malice of these men. He's able to see the providence of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me. You know, he doesn't lessen the blow. He doesn't say, well, you know, you guys didn't really mean that. You know, you, you didn't knew, know what you were doing. You know, of course, under other circumstances, it probably never would have happened. He says, no, you meant evil against me. Their, their intent was evil. But again, Joseph is able to look beyond them, and he's able to look beyond the human circumstances, and he's able to say, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And again, as we go through life, there will be things that people and Satan will bring our way, and the intention is evil. The intention is to harm us. The intention is to hurt us. 
Some cases destroy us. But God is bigger than all of that. And God is able to turn those things around. And and this particular verse here, the corresponding verse in the New Testament is really, as we pointed out before, the corresponding verse is Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And you see, Joseph, as I've pointed out, Joseph's life is a great illustration of Romans 8.28. And here in this particular 20th verse, he kind of sums it all up right there. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And, And what a great and wonderful thing to know that God is able to take even the evil intent of men and to turn it around and to use those things that people intend for evil toward us to use those things for good in our lives. Now, we've got to keep in mind there were lots of years when that was not really you know, clear in Joseph's understanding. This, of course you know, is coming with hindsight. He's seen the fulfillment of of the promises. He's seen the blessing of God. There were those years when there would have been uncertainty. There would have been confusion. There would have been doubts. There would have been questions about just, you know, what, what is really going on here? But as I mentioned before, Joseph had those promises of God that he just, he hung on to those. And you see, like we've said many times, when God gives a promise, it's something we've got to hang on to. Because if God gives you a promise, this is what you can absolutely bet on. You can stake your life on it. If God gives you a promise, he is going to fulfill it. You might say, well, he hasn't fulfilled it yet. Well, evidently, the time for fulfillment hasn't come yet. Oh, but to you, it seems like it should have come a long time ago. You see, this is the dilemma that we find ourselves in. Because it does seem to us, from our point of view, that, you know, Lord, what is taking so long? Lord, you know, you told me that you were going to do these things. And what's happened to all of that? But you see, if God has given a promise, you can bet your life he is going to fulfill that promise. And if he hasn't fulfilled it yet, what are you supposed to do? You just keep waiting. And you just keep faithful and you just keep believing. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time, and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart. 
And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, or you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.